Now, Advent, God with us, Emmanuel, this is our Advent season. Today, the focus and theme of this Advent Sunday is faith. It is the faithfulness of God to those who are sitting in darkness. A great light has come, that Jesus has come into the darkness, that he was faithful to come and he will be faithful to return. And so we are posturing our hearts on these days and throughout this week, just reminding ourselves of the faithfulness of the Lord. And the practice of reminding ourselves of the faithfulness of the Lord is so vital because it challenges us to be people who are not always forward focused. I know the world around us says focus forward, focus forward, focus forward. To be powerful followers of Jesus is to be able to stop and recall the faithfulness of the Lord. So let us not be people who are spun out and spun up and spun forward. Let us be people who at any moment can recall with joy and with tears and with laughter the faithfulness of God. And we are ready at a drop of a hat to recount his faithfulness. And it brings about such a powerful perspective for us throughout this week to just continually be recalling the faithfulness of Jesus in our life and how he is continuing to come. And so that's today's focus. And in a few minutes, we will have an opportunity for a response to that. We have um, a prayer an activation, some questions, some things for us to consider um, on this day, as well as communion will be out here uh, at the end of our time together for us to be able to respond in that way. So today we are continuing on our Advent series. As I said, it's this intentional slowing down. And as you know, this month, as we talk about slowing down, this month we have been reading, of course, the Bible, right, everyone, the Bible. This is one of the challenges we're going to have. 2024 is going to be fun. I have some challenges for you. One of them is going to be fasting, social media, and inputs in January. We'll talk more about that. Um, maybe February, so I give you a little more time to get, to get your head around the idea. Reading the Word, bringing a physical Bible to church. We're going to practice setting our, our phones down. Um, while we're here, and I'm not, there's no judgment there, just some things that we're gonna try to practice tangible things. And, uh, and so we are reading Ruthless Elimination of a Hurry this month, or we read it last month. If you haven't read it yet, no shame, no judgment. We got a few more copies in back at the Welcome Center. You can pick one up today. Um, but as we are looking at this month as a chance to prepare our hearts for the coming of Jesus and the continuing coming of Jesus, that we would slow down and we would prepare our hearts and that we would live lives that are attuned to the rhythms of Emmanuel and to experience Emmanuel, God with us in Jesus each moment of this Christmas season. But as we have said, that is not easy. Do you find that easy to experience Jesus in every moment of the Christmas season? It is not easy. As Kate shared last week, one of the key tasks of our discipleship to Jesus in this modern era or post-modern era, or maybe we've reached the post-post-modern era. No one's quite sure what is happening. <laughs> but one of the key tasks of our discipleship to Jesus is living into both our pot potential and our limitations. Why? Because we live in a world that wants to push the boundary of all human limitation. You guys know that grind culture is real. You gotta do more. You gotta make the most of yourself. You have to capitalize on every opportunity. You have to accomplish all of the things and you have to make money and you have to save money and you have to buy the house and you have to live your best 
life. And so we know that a lot of the story within our culture is transgressing limitations, pushing past limitations. But we serve a God who invites us to, in fact, embrace our limitations. As we serve a God who says, come, you are a treasure that I have poured into you, but you are a jar of clay. That is the reality of our relationship with Jesus that we see in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. That the divinity is within us. We have been created in the image of God. That the divinity is in us as we follow Jesus and say yes to Jesus, that his spirit is alive in us. As Paul said to the Ephesians, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that he may dwell in you through faith and that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so on one hand, we have this invitation through the completed work of Jesus Christ alone to be filled with the fullness of God. And we have that on one side, but on the other side, we live within these jars of clay, these limitations that we have that are natural that we need to learn, as Paul also says in Philippians 4, that we would learn to be content in every situation and every season that we find ourselves in, when we are young and when we are old, when we have little and when we have much, when we are rich or when we are poor, when we are, wait a minute, that's a wedding ceremony. I think I was going into the, the, I was going into the vows there for a second. But you get the idea that we would be content in every situation that we have. And if you want to hear more about what it looks like to live into your limitations instead of always trying to, to supersede your limitations, I would ask you to listen to Kate's message from last week. Kate asked us this question, can we slow down with Jesus to his pace? Are we willing to embrace the spiritual discipline of slowing? And who knew that one of the hardest things that would ever be said from the front of this room in 2023 would be Kate telling you that you need to drive the speed limit. <laughs> slowing down. Everywhere I went after church, everyone was like, did you hear that she was saying about driving the speed limit? What's going on? And every little pocket of conversation was like, I don't know. I don't know about that whole driving the speed limit thing. I hope a lot of you, and I know Kate got like 20 different texts of people this week who were like, I'm driving the speed limit. And then she texts them back and say, but are you on your phone? No, she didn't. No, so. <laughs> it's voice to text, I swear. It caused quite a stir, this living slow within a culture that is fast paced and driving the speed limit is a funny, funny challenge to us, but I think it's super healthy. Amen, right? And she talked about answering Jesus's invitation in Matthew 11, which is our key verse for this Advent season, where Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The depth of rest that is offered to us goes far beyond what we all want right now, which is simply just to lay down and take a nap. <laughs> and can I just get a, a little rest, which is great and true. 
But Jesus is also offering a depth of rest that gets down to our souls at rest. Because I can be at rest in my body. I can be at rest in my watch and time. I can be at rest in my calendar and not at rest in my spirit, my mind, my emotions. And what Jesus is offering is both a life that is slow and restful. But it would go beyond just the physical all the way down to the soul. And so we are being offered something so deeply powerful and contradictory to the world that is around us. And as we are reading the ruthless elimination of hurry together, we are looking to find from Matthew 11 in the message how Eugene Peterson translates it as unforced rhythms of grace, that we would live freely and lightly, especially in a very full Christmas season where we are tempted to live beyond those limitations that I was speaking of earlier, and that we would push out of the rhythms and the pace of Jesus. In the 1960s, a Japanese theologian, Kosaki Koyama, wrote a book. It's called Three Mile an Hour God. And he noticed that the average speed of human beings, that human beings walk, is three miles an hour. And he reflected on the fact that Jesus, who is God, walked at three miles an hour. God, who is love, walked at three miles an hour. Love had a speed. <laughs> Love had a, has a speed, Koyama says, and that speed is slow. That speed is gentle, and that speed is tender. In a culture of speed, we forget that love takes time and that love is slow. Jesus, who slept and he prayed daily and he observed Sabbath and he sometimes prayed through the night and Scripture talks about times that he tried and even sometimes failed to get away from all of the crowds that were following him everywhere that he went. And he tried to take his disciples away for quiet places for him to be able to connect with them away from all of the noise and the demands of ministry. This is Jesus who taught huge crowds, but also found, found time to meet privately with people who were seeking him or had questions, even in the middle of the night. Jesus dined regularly with people. Jesus visited homes. And Jesus walked alongside his disciples everywhere they went. And here's what I believe with all of my heart, is that if Jesus were alive today, that we would find him extremely slow compared to the pace that we think that he should go. In Jesus, we see a God who is unhurried, even though his time was very limited limited by demands, but also limited by his work three years, a little over three years. If I told you you had three years left of your life, I wouldn't want to see the amount of things that you would try to fit into those three years or the pace that you would try to live at. And Jesus was unhurried even in the limits that were placed upon his life. In a God who took 40 years with the Israelites in the wilderness to teach them that man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And you might recognize that from Jesus' time in the wilderness. But you may not recognize that from Deuteronomy 8.8, 8, which is what it was from and where Jesus was quoting from Scripture. 
was that the Israelites in the wilderness had to learn that we are not living only on what God is bringing to us, but we are actually living on relationship with God. The man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It took 40 years for them to learn that, and God was happy to spend it teaching them. We see a God who is in no hurry with us. And if you listen carefully, you probably have heard this already, but you'll hear this everywhere during this Christmas season. I heard it the other day. I've heard it several times this week. I heard it the other day when I was at a coffee shop and two people behind me, and I know that God was highlighting it to my ears because I heard it so clearly, and the conversation was very simple. It was like this between two people. How are you doing? And the answer was, I am so busy. This is our common response. And I believe that I can say this of every single one of us, that we have found ourselves answering the question, how are you doing? How's life? Busy. It's all of us. Why? Because it is the culture and the reality that we live within. And I don't want to paint this onto any particular person. I want us all to just own that in this moment that we have all found ourselves or find ourselves too busy. And as Kate said last week, there are times in our life that it is full, but it's full of the right things. And that puts pressure on us and it puts pressure on our schedule. So we are not just here saying, if you're busy or if your life is full, you're doing something wrong. That is not at all the message of Advent. That is not the pace of Jesus. That is not what we are trying to say. But we are saying that when life is very full, it is deeply important, imperative even, that we are convicted, we allow Holy Spirit to convict us when life is getting filled up with the wrong things or when we are busy for the wrong reasons. Because many of us have allowed busyness to become something that numbs us. We use it to avoid things, or we use busyness to feel valuable. Being busy almost functions like an addiction where it becomes so normal that when we aren't in a hurry, our body, our mind, our nervous system doesn't know what to do. We are tempted to use being busy or being hurried to numb our pain, to quiet the inner turmoil, to get our emotional need for validation or purpose or belonging met. Work and social engagements and time on our phone and watching sports or watching shows or watching movies or shopping or eating or having sex or exercising and the list can go on. All of these activities may have their place in the proper time and context and in the proper moderation, but they can quickly become ways that we avoid our emotional experiences or the deeper things that are rumbling underneath the surface of our lives. I wanna offer some questions for you today just to determine if you and I, if we have places in our life where we are escaping or numbing out through busyness. I know how much you all have loved the questions that we've given you, so I thought, hey, let's keep it going because I wanna be popular here. <laughs> Is being too busy, quote, end quote, the excuse you use for why you are not making new friends why you are not healthier, 
why you are no longer doing a hobby or an activity that you love or brings you life, or why you have not made a life change yet that you know that you need to make. I'm too busy. Do you avoid getting closer to your husband, your wife, your kids, your friends through having too much to do on a regular basis? And this would include often opting out of serious conversations due to racing off to do something else, constantly rescheduling date nights or saying, not now, I'm busy, give me just a minute when your kids want to play or ask you something. I fear that that's what my kids hear when they approach me or fear that I'm going to say to them and I do not want that to be the story. Do you have activities or practices that you enjoy and intentionally do regularly that help you feel calmer or have those all been pushed aside due to I'm too busy? Are you able to sit in silence or prayer or just with your own thoughts, without doing anything else for 15 minutes, without becoming more stressed. Let's try it now. <laughs> just kidding. Do you have dreams that you often reflect on and are actively working toward? Do you have things that God has put on your heart for your life, your family, your relationships, your friendships, your marriage? that you get to dream into and enjoy pursuing and you're working towards? Or are you in a sort of survival mode where you believe and live as if you only have time for what is right now and to think or dream into your future feels impossible? Can you acknowledge your vulnerable, softer side? And this is what we mean about limitations and perhaps even your weaknesses and limitations without disgust? Can you look at them and tell yourself that you are human just like everybody else with your strengths and with your weaknesses? That we are created in a reflection of the divinity, but we are created also from the dust. Divinity and dust means that we have unlimited potential, but it has to be in surrender to the one who breathes life into us, and we have to understand the limitations that come with that. So with no guilt or shame that I'm giving you in these questions, because we are all, no guilt or shame that I'm giving you in these questions, we are all up against something that is far greater than just our own pace or the culture around us. 1 Peter 5.8, Peter tells us this, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. It's not just you. It's not just your culture. There is a strategy against you to try to speed you up, make you feel frazzled and hopeless and helpless. You have an enemy that is after your heart, you have an enemy that is after the love that Jesus has placed inside of you, and you have an enemy that is after the pace that Jesus wants you to walk at to see the seeds that he has given to you bear fruit. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. Which is the greatest command? Jesus said, 
that you would love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength, and that the expression of that love that you have would be seen in this, that you would love others as yourself. Heart, soul, and mind, and strength are all these places where Holy Spirit wants to be at work in us, but we can often find ourselves at too rapid of a pace that we are walking at nine miles an hour and Jesus is walking at three miles an hour, and the question becomes, who is following whom? Because he wants to do a deeper work in our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, that we would experience his love and we would give away his love but we have an enemy who is after our heart. How? By picking us off when we get isolated, alone, and worn down. As you know, you've all watched National Geographic. It makes me cry a little bit. <laughs> the lion doesn't attack the strongest prey, but the one that falls away from the pack. And I'm like, oh, go after the strong one. Oh, no, there's one that's falling behind. It's weak, it's hurt, it's a little sick. Oh, no, it's got a limp. He's a goner. This is how the lions hunt, looking for the opening that is left by sickness or woundedness and able to take down their prey. And I believe that there's a reason why that this is reflected to us in Scripture to teach us what the enemy, the devil, is after. He's trying to isolate us, trying to get us alone, trying to get us to believe shame and stories that make us believe that the healthiest, healthiest thing that we can do is to produce something and to stay busy at life, except that it is what? Disconnecting us from God, disconnecting us from others, disconnecting us from ourselves. Corey Ten Boom, we quoted this. I quoted this a few weeks ago. Corey Ten Boom had a saying, it's this, if the devil can't make us bad, he'll make us busy because we risk being effective at the inconsequential and ineffective at the eternal. How many dinners have you had together as a family this week? Or times with important friends? How many minutes have you had on social media or games or whatever on your phone compared to life-giving interactions with people that you love in your life? How much time have you spent in prayer versus how much time have you spent in worry and anxiety? I ask these questions of you and I ask these questions of myself. And if we had time to be honest, I think that some of us would be doing very well in this. And I think that some of us would say, that's a struggle for me. I wish my family could just make time more to sit down to a meal together. That would be a value for me. I wish that I put my phone down more often and connected eye to eye, face to face and heart to heart with those around me and people around me. I wish that I spent more time in prayer than more time worrying. I think we're all there in many ways and that's okay because what the beauty of this invitation from Jesus is to make an exchange where you're saying our lifestyle for your lifestyle. So I'm not, again, I'm not trying to bring any sense of shame to us but I think we all are aware that something is off. And if we continue to walk off in that trajectory, we get further and further and further from what we know in our heart is just a calling and a longing from God of what it looks like to carry an easy yoke. So what do we do? We slow down. Okay? You may go. Uh, <laughs> how do we slow, slow down? 
Paul, again, in 2 Corinthians, he's he talking, talking about repentance and such a vital, important thing. And we'll talk more about this in, in 2024, just the, the power of confession and repentance. But just a little note on that is that one of the teachings that Paul has on it, it says this, is that godly sorrow brings repentance and that leads to salvation. It leaves no regret. That means that when I am sorrowful and it is not God who is driving my sorrow, that I will end up with regret. But when God is coming to me and putting his hand on my heart, or on my calendar, or on my pace, that I would say, God, I'm sorry. And that it would lead me to repentance. Forgive me. Let my mind be transformed by seeing you and seeing your heart for my pace, for my schedule, for what it want, you want me to look like in walking with you instead of just being riddled with regret because I failed. And God, any failure that we bring is a story that is, it is the beginning of a story of redemption. So what do we do? How do we slow down? We allow godly sorrow to bring us to that place of saying, I repent of this pace or the things that I do and that it would be driven by a redemption story that we want to be a part of. And in doing so, we can embrace, I believe we can embrace the lifestyle of Jesus, of slowing down. What are we doing? We're doing good. Okay, slowing down, getting off the grind, getting off the busy treadmill. And I know that some of you are like, that sounds super nice, but I also hope you're asking this question. What does that have to do with following Jesus? What does this have to do with following his word? That should be the question that we are always asking because we don't want this to turn into some sort of repackaged self-help mumbo jumbo that you get everywhere you go, I think. And that's not what this is. Jesus' invitation over and over to his disciples from the crowds that would come to him and he would call them into following, come and follow me. And then those who would follow him, he would call them into discipleship. So from each of those places, as Jesus called people, his invitation over and over was that come and follow me. And in Matthew 11, our key text for the series, he expounds on that invitation, what it means. Come and follow me. Let me read it again and again and again. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And Dallas Willard says this, speaking of Matthew 11. He says, in this truth lies the secret to the easy yoke. The secret involves living as Jesus lived in the entirety of his life, adopting his overall lifestyle. Our mistake is to think that following Jesus consists of, check the boxes, loving our enemies, going the second mile, turning the other cheek, suffering patiently and hopefully while living the rest of our lives just as everyone around else around us does. It's a strategy that is bound to fail. And if we say this another way from Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, as John Mark Comer writes, <clears throat> excuse me, writes in there, if we want to experience the life of Jesus, we have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. Yeah, right? 
So often, we want the fruit without cultivating the ground, planting the seeds, letting the rain come, letting the sun come, letting the process, the formation process happen. We want to just go down to the market and buy the fruit. And we want to skip all of those other steps. We want to behave like Jesus without being committed to becoming like Jesus. But the becoming like Jesus is where we slow down and we accept his invitation that says, come and walk with me. Come and feel the yoke that I have for you. It is easy and not heavy. I'm not gonna lead you with shame and with performance. I'm gonna lead you with love and speaking identity to you. I'm gonna call you into who you are instead of shaming you for who you are right now. Come and follow me. And then in that process, the field of our heart and our life begins to be turned over and the seed of the Holy Spirit starts to fall onto our lives and our hearts. And then before you know it, as we sit and we wait before an empty field, We sit and we wait and we wait and we wait. And before long, that field begins to bear fruit. And then fruit comes out of our life instead of us wanting to figure out ways to just take it from someone else and put it onto our own life. Give me the fruit, give me the fruit. Here's a conviction, the ruthless elimination of hurry. And I agree with this. He says the Western church has lost sight of the fact that the way of Jesus is just that, a way of life. It's not just a set of ideas. That's what we call theology. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. That's what we call ethics. It is that, but it is also so much more. It's a way of life based on that of Jesus himself, a lifestyle. We read the stories of Jesus, the book says. His joy, his resolute peace through uncertainty, his unanxious presence, his, rela- his relaxed manner, and how in the moment he was. And we think, I want that life. We hear his open invite to life and life to the fullest, and we think, sign me up. We hear about his easy yoke and soul deep rest, and we think, I need that. But then we're not willing to adopt his lifestyle. John 14, 6 and 7, you guys know this verse because we use it almost every Sunday as we begin our worship time. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me, said Jesus. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well, which means we get to walk with a slow God, three miles an hour, willing to walk with us on the road of life. Eugene Peterson said this, the Jesus way wedded to the Jesus truth brings about the Jesus life. But Jesus as the truth gets far more attention than Jesus as the way. Jesus as the way is the most frequently evaded metaphor among the Christians with whom I have worked for 50 years as a North American pastor. We talk about our church websites that say, this is what we believe. And every church has them. This is what we believe. 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 No church has this. And this is what we do. This is the way, right? This is the way that we walk this out. Because we are fascinated and fixated on the truth of Jesus, which we should be. 
We shouldn't actually minimize one to elevate another. We should just make sure that both together matter, that he is the truth, but he is also the way. How do we follow the way of Jesus? We have to understand that our life is a byproduct of our lifestyle. If you've ever been in management, you've heard the saying, every system is perfectly designed to get the results that it gets. And usually someone says it smugly when something you are bringing to them has fallen apart. Every system is perfectly designed to get the results that it gets. Said another way, if we keep doing what we've been doing, we'll keep getting what we've been getting. Well, the source of these quotes, and I looked it up, I was trying to find out who said this. It's actually, you can't really figure out who said it. But the truth of these extend far beyond business systems. It's perfect for us today. As we look at the results of the choices that we make every day and their impact on our emotional, physical, and especially spiritual well-being. If we keep doing what we've been doing, we'll keep getting what we have been getting. Or as John Foreman might say, anyone want to guess? This is your life. Are you who you want to be? Sorry, switch foot. Come on. Someone's singing it. Who's singing it? Nisha. If the results that you are getting are lousy, anxiety at a simmer, mild depression, high levels of stress, chronic emotional burnout, little to no sense of the presence of God, an inability to focus your mind on the things that make for life, etc., then the odds are very good that something about the system that is your life is off kilter. The way you've organized your morning or evening routine, your schedule, your budget, your relationship with your phone, how you manage your resources of time, money, and attention, your spiritual practices, something is out of whack. So here's the crux of it, y'all. This is why Jesus doesn't offer us an escape from all of this. He offers us something better, a way to do life. If we want the life of Jesus, we have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And the reality often is, I want the life, but I'm not willing to adopt the lifestyle behind it. Again, Paul writing to the Corinthians. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So Paul says, I run with the purpose, with a purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing, it means I'm not just going through the motions. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Paul understood the intensity and the intentionality that it took to follow the way of Jesus. And in this metaphor of an athlete, he brought into this moment the reality of saying, I choose what I value. I choose to be victorious in the future by making a choice in the small things today. And we don't get to just show up on the basketball court because we have on nice shoes we go buy the new shoes and we get the headband and we show up to the basketball tryouts and we look like we can play the part. I'm not talking about myself, y'all. Back off. 
You can tell in a moment the kid who has done the work in the off season from the kid who has just bought the new gear and thinks that they're good enough naturally to make the team. And so there is a deep challenge for us in following the way of Jesus that we could say, can I come to the front and have someone lay their hands on me and it would just give me like a spiritual lobotomy and I would walk out of here following Jesus. I want the breakthrough. And I'm sorry. As an old school Pentecostal, I love the breakthrough. But I feel like we're in a season where he is asking us to break ground instead of just seeking a breakthrough. And that means that we would come to him with the soil of our hearts and lives every day, every morning and say, turn over the hard ground of my heart, that it would be soft before you, that I would wait on you until you come and you pour out your righteousness upon me like rain. That is his promise. And so we are going to be and continue to be a people who desire and honor the breakthrough and the miracle in the moment. But we are also gonna be people who say that we want to see ground being broken in the things that he is building and creating in our hearts, our lives, our minds, our families, our businesses, our cities, or whatever it is that we are coming to him, not for a quick fix, but that we would be willing like an athlete to say, I will train in the off season, that I would be successful in the season. Athletes pay that cost to attain that prize. Living the Jesus way of life, the Jesus way wedded to the Jesus truth will cost us dearly. It will cost us. And I know it's a minor example, but I loved what Kate shared last week about driving the speed limit. Here we are back again. You're like, dear God, let it go. I loved what she said when she was like, the first time she did it, she's driving down the road and she looks in her rearview mirror and she's doing 45 and a 45. And she looks back behind her and there's like five cars just bad, just right behind her, like it's NASCAR or something going, hey, what's going on? How dare you go the speed limit? Don't you know we're all in a hurry? And it's a small cost, but it's a great example that like when we choose to go at Jesus's pace in a culture that shuns and mocks and doesn't understand the pace of Jesus, that doesn't understand a Sabbath people who would say, I can actually work less unto the Lord and be more productive than you can be being productive all, every day of the week. That you, when you see that as your reality, that you are so contrary to culture, there's such a contrast that you're gonna have people like bumping up against your pace and there's a cost to it but there's larger costs and the people driving behind you because you're not going 10 miles an hour over the speed limit that's a small cost but the larger cost might be that you don't get to get everything done the cost might be a promotion the cost might be a house that you want to buy the cost might be control <laughs> How much time we got? We can talk about that one for a little while if you want. <laughs> I'm just wired this way. It's a good thing that Jesus is a spiritual electrician. <laughs> it might be success that you lay down. It might be importance. It might be visibility. It might be your name up on that thing might be value to your organization or to your family or to your friend group. It, it might be that you have to learn to live, as Kate talked about last week, 
just with disappointing people and say, it's okay. I'm going to disappoint people sometimes when I live to Jesus instead of to culture. As I said, it might be a job. It might be finances. Finances might be respect. So many of us find our value and what we can accomplish and what we can do, and we're respected for it. And if we say, no, my life is now just about accomplishing what Jesus wants me to accomplish every day at the pace that he asks me to walk, that there will be a cost to that. I like to live by a rule of three. You guys have probably heard me talk about it, but it's just simply this. Does it matter right now? Yes. Will it matter in three hours? Will it matter in three days? Will it matter in three weeks? And if the answer to any of those is no, then it probably shouldn't matter deeply right now. Now, I expect that you're all mature enough and smart enough as adults that you would know where to apply that to certain and different situations. But my point is this, is that I often get so worked up about something that will not matter in three weeks or in three days. But man, right now, it feels like the world is falling apart and I'm gonna make sure that everybody knows it. And we have to be better at saying, the rule of three, maybe you just need to expand it a little bit. Will it matter in three weeks? Will it matter in three months? Will it matter this much in three years? And I promise you that the things of eternal value, the answer will always be yes. But a lot of the things that we're worked up about, the answer is no. It won't matter. So why are we living so spun out on things that will not matter and letting the things that are of eternal value get pushed to the side by those things? So my challenge to you is just to count the cost like an athlete. In Jesus' case, it's worth the cost to walk with him. In fact, I want to tell you this as just a testimony. That we get back far more than we could ever give. Those of you who have walked this relationship with Jesus for decades longer than me, you would stand up here and if I gave you the mic, you would say this with all of your heart, much better than I can say it, with more wisdom than I could say it. You would say this, that the cost of following Jesus is worth everything that you ever laid down or let go of. You would say it and you would shout it and you would say it with laughter and with tears, not minimizing the difficulty of life. But truly to us, you would say it is worth it. That what we get from following Jesus is far more than we have ever given up. Because there is a cross, there is a death, but it is followed by an empty tomb it is followed by a portal to a new life, the way of Jesus. In the way of Jesus, death is always followed by resurrection. When we die to the rush, when we die to the hurry, when we die to the busyness, it is to come alive in the sacred. It is to come alive in the spiritual. It is to come alive to a slower and more connected to God, life, and others, and ourselves that we would be content walking with a three-mile-an-hour God because the pace of love is slow. Jesus offers his disciples a whole new way to bear the weight of our humanity with ease at his side, like two oxen in a field tied shoulder to shoulder with Jesus doing all of the heavy lifting at his pace, slow, unhurried, present to the moment, full of love and joy 
and peace, says John Mark Comer in Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And I'll finish with this. Since an easy life isn't an option, an easy yoke is, says John Ortberg. And I want you to see that quote because no one is here promising you an easy life. Nobody's here promising you that following Jesus, contrary to culture and things around you, isn't gonna cost you. But what I am saying is that if we continue to do the same things that we've always been doing, we will continue to get the same results. And I think if you and I are honest enough with each other and with God, there may be some things that are not working, but we continue to do them. And I don't know the reason why. Maybe it is to numb out. Maybe it is to escape. Maybe it is to avoid that particular point where somebody needs something from you. Or maybe it is walking over an emotional deficit that you keep feeling wanting to rise to the surface or something that God is touching, the Holy Spirit is touching. This is, I would love an opportunity to heal this in your heart right now. And we say, oh, no, 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 not now, not now, not now, later, because right now, got too much going on. And he is saying, can you walk with me in that? Can we walk and can we talk about that? But an easy life is not an option, but an easy yoke is because that is the promise that Jesus gave to us. I want to tell you a story as we wrap up and a worship team can come up here and they're going to lead us in a time of worship or response. But really this response time is both for you to sing if you would like to, but, but it's really just a time for you to quiet, spend some time with Holy Spirit, respond in communion. Why communion? Why is it so sacred and important to us? Because it is instructed to us that when we come together that we would do this in remembrance of Jesus. And it's not just so that we go, oh, I remember, aha, but in an actual integration of our life that says, I, will, I want this down into the cellular level of my life, that I remember that it is by your death, your life, your death, your resurrection, your enthronement, that I have life, that it is because of your brokenness that I have been made whole. It is because of your blood poured out that I have been made clean. And we remember that all the way into how we do life. And I want us to have that time and that space as we respond in worship. And as I shared, there is, this is Advent and we are focused on faithfulness today. And there is a paper here that if you would like to do it this morning, you're welcome to, or you can take it home with you. But what I would love is for us to be able to take the next 15 minutes of the time that we have together and to simply be with the Lord, to sit with the Lord, to respond to him and really to allow that conviction that says it's not the end of the world if you're busy, but it is important that you do not find yourself busy about the wrong things. And then if we have made ourselves busy about the wrong things, that the conviction of Holy Spirit would fall upon us, not to make us have regret, but to bring us to his compassion, his kindness, and his grace. And that we can walk out of here saying, Jesus, I want to walk three miles an hour with you. You thought going the speed limit was hard. I'm telling you to go three miles an hour in your life with God. Because I believe that it's important. So let me tell you this story. As I ask us, what is it that we're striving for? And this is a, a parable by Heinrich Theodor Boyle. It's, he was one of Germany's foremost post-World War II writers. It's called The Fisherman and the Businessman. Maybe you've heard it. Early one morning, a businessman on holiday at a small village by a sea 
by the sea noticed a simple fisherman returning in his boat with his daily catch of fish. The businessman complained or complimented him on the quality of his fish and how long it took him to catch them. And he asked him, sorry, he asked him, how long did it take you to catch these fish? And he said, not very long. But then why didn't you stay out longer and catch more fish, asked the businessman. And the fisherman explained that his small catch was sufficient to meet his needs and the needs of his family for the week and even having a little bit left over to sell to the local market. The, business, the businessman asked him, but what do you do with the rest of your time? He said, I, I sleep late. I fish a little. I play with my children. I take a siesta with my wife. In the evenings, I go into the village and I see my friends. I have a few drinks. I play the guitar and I sing a few songs. I have a full life. And the businessman interrupted him and he said, you're doing it all wrong. I have an MBA and I can help you become rich. You should start by fishing longer every day. Then you can sell the extra fish that you catch. And with the extra revenue, you can buy a bigger boat. And with the extra money, the larger boat will bring. You can buy a second one and a third one and so on until you have an entire fleet of trawlers. Instead of selling your fish to a middleman, you can negotiate directly with the processing plants and maybe even open your own plant. You can then leave this little village and move to Mexico City or Los Angeles or even New York City. And from there, you can direct your huge fishing empire. And the fisherman asked him, how, how long would this take? Oh, 20, perhaps 25 years, said the businessman. And after that, afterwards, that's when it gets really interesting, said the businessman laughing. When your business gets really big, you can start selling stock and you can make millions. Millions? Really? And after that? And after that, you'll be able to retire. Live in a tiny village near the sea. <laughs> Sleep late. Play with your grandchildren. Catch a few fish, take a siesta, and spend your evenings drinking and enjoying your friends. The greatest lie that we've ever believed is that we have to work for or earn what God has already given to us. So let's respond and asking ourselves, what is it we're truly striving for and what truly matters? And maybe we already have what truly matters, and we should begin to tailor the rest of our life to be formed around the values that we have instead of letting our values be formed around what we yet do not have because in Jesus, we have everything, everything that we need. Amen? Amen. So the communion table is open to you all. We have 10 or 15 minutes left in here before it's time to pick up kids. If you do want to walk out of here, you're welcome to. You are not captive in this room. We would ask that conversations take place in the lobby, that we keep this as a sacred space for people to respond in prayer and worship and communion. We love you guys so much. We are praying for you and praying for you this week as you walk towards Christmas, that it would be a three mile an hour walk with a God of love who is patient to teach us along the way. Amen.